the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli, that's Danny Cannell, that's Bud Elliott, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks to those of you who are watching live. Why don't you smash that subscribe, smash that like, and come in. Come and join us. Come jump in the chat. Uh, come participate in what is going to be a very fun show. We are going to explain why we have yet more evidence why Brian Hartline continues to be a top pick in our coaches draft every single year. We've got another update on Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning. And uh, we want to turn the spotlight away from uh, some of those top build teams. Those teams are at the very, very top of, you know, the national title contenders, the conference title contenders, you know, those, those schools that we talk about all the time. Let, let's try to make sure that we zero in on a couple of dark horse candidates, teams that as we're doing our research, they stand out. We like what they've got. We think they could make some noise and they are not getting enough attention. We will get to all that in a little bit. But we start with the headline that doesn't often show up on the Cover 3 podcast. Massive Louisville Cardinals football recruiting news. And that is not a slight to Scott Satterfield or his staff. I mean, this is just a, a program that doesn't often pop like we saw this week and like we are starting to see in this cycle as they landed a commitment from five-star running back Ruben Owens II. He is the number one running back in the 2023 class. He is out of El Campo, Texas, and he chose Louisville over Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, and many others. So a couple levels to this that I want to kick around. Uh, obviously, um, we will begin, Bud, with the the player himself, Ruben Owens II. Uh, the running back position, when we see these five-star guys, it – I haven't uh, double-checked this. I apologize. But five-star running backs, not always something that litters the top 32 or top 33 of the prospect rankings. Just on its face, to see a five-star running back in in the 2023 cycle suggests that this could be a special player. Uh, what do you think of Owens? What can Louisville fans be excited about? Well, there's a lot for Louisville fans to be excited about here with, with Ruben Owens, one of our top running backs in the nation, Um when you watch the tape, the first thing that stands out for you is just the burst, right? Like, he, he can hit the home runs. We're not going to make a, a kid a five-star running back unless he can take it the distance. But he also you know, he has nice wiggle to him. He can catch the football. He can run through arm tackles. He, he's a real difference maker at that level for those guys. And, I mean, it, they beat out some seriously good teams to get Ruben Owens. So, uh, Louisville, take a note of this. This is This is interesting. So, they've got uh, – right now, they've got quarterback recruit – uh, Pierce Clarson on board. They've got a top 60 wide receiver in DeAndre Moore, and they are starting to put together a recruiting class that, again, a lot of movement left to go, but a recruiting class that is ranking in the top 15. Danny, do you see Scott Satterfield on the recruiting trail being able to build up enough goodwill to keep the, the any, like, is this addressing hot seat concerns? Is this addressing concerns that Louisville fans have about the future of the Scott Satterfield era with the Cardinals? It absolutely should now at this minute because there should. this is what it's all about, right? You want to get excited about talent acquisition, but it can quickly be forgotten if it doesn't translate to wins. Um, this is remarkable what we're seeing happen. Historic, if you will. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw Bruce Feldman's stat uh, that he put out. Shout out to our uh, buddy Bruce Feldman. So with, with Owens going to Louisville, 
Uh, they now have four commits ranked uh, among the 24-7s top 200. That's as many top 200 recruits as they had in previous 13 years combined. Like this, this is coming out of nowhere. So, And I did see a lot of Texas A&M fans on social media saying, hey, we get accused of buying classes. Like what, what happened about Louisville? I don't know if it's all Scott's, uh, Scott Satterfield relation building. I don't know if that's what it is. If it's all but, relation building, <laughs> well, if any if of it any is, relation building, come I mean, like, you know what? But this is a good thing. I say good. Let's get some of the wealth spread around. Let's see Louisville. Let's see what they can do if they finish with a top 15 recruiting class. So I think it's awesome to see. I think it shows that maybe there's some more money and interest and passion, whatever you want to call it, that's out there that might be willing to shake up those typical, those schools that we see every single time in the top 10 recruiting classes. I think it's refreshing to see a team that's outside of that usual group come to the forefront. And I think let's see if they can carry this momentum forward. It's pretty clear Shaq has reopened the Papa John's money pipeline <laughs> to Louisville. Because I mean, like we like they're currently their class is ranked 11th in 2023, and it's behind teams like Northwestern, Texas Tech, teams you don't expect to see there. But as we talked about on the show, I think two weeks ago, they've got 10 commits. Five of them are four star or better. Like Owens is a five star. They've got four other four stars. So that's, you know, using the blue chip ratio, that's 50% of your class right now is blue chip prospects, which means that as we get closer to signing day, they are much more likely to still be hovering around the top 10 than teams like Northwestern, Texas Tech, and Cincinnati are at the moment based on the guys that they have. So, like, I, I don't know what this is going to mean long term. I think that this is clearly a much better kind of offseason storyline for Louisville than we've seen last year, you know, with the results on the field. It definitely a better feeling building for 2022. But like you guys were saying, this isn't going to mean a whole lot if the Cardinals show up and go like five and seven. Which I, I don't think they will go five and seven. I'm I'm fairly high on this Louisville team relative to some of the expectations out there. You know, I. This is just a bit of a perfect storm, right? They they took Pierce Clarkson, Steve Clarkson's kid. Obviously, you guys have heard of the Clarkson mm -hmm. QB retreat. Do you know who sponsors the Clarkson QB retreat? Papa John's, Adidas. All right, and what <laughs> what uh, what what brand does Little wear? Adidas. Papa Adidas. John's. Right. <laughs> so there's a lot of cheerleading going on from you know from, from that sector right now, which is great, I think, and I agree with Danny that it's awesome to see other teams get in on the recruiting act. Everybody was all very fearful. NIL is going to make four super teams only. No, it's not, because if you can go somewhere else and get paid and also get playing time, I'd rather do that than be like the third string running back at whatever programs, you know, paying just a little bit more, right? Like playing time plus, you know, plus NIL deals are still really nice. I, I thought Jody Demling, our, our, our publisher at Cardinal Authority, uh, had a nice point. And he said, look, Louisville is one of the biggest cities that does not have a pro sports team. Mm -hmm. And there are quite a few businesses here that would like to affiliate and get in on a piece of that action. So I'm I'm not saying Papa John. I, I don't actually think that he's the one driving this. And look, if they lose, okay, like, like the class probably falls apart. But I'd rather have this now just in case I win. Because in case I win and I sign this class, I might get a contract extension, especially because there's a new – like, hell, if, if Louisville's AD situation wasn't such a disaster, is Scott Satterfield even coaching this year? Like, like he may have really hit, hit the jackpot here as far as you know, not having an AD in place because they went through like like two interims and now they, they finally named uh, the one interim as their new AD. If you don't have a boss, you're not getting fired. So it kind of allowed them to, to you know work on the recruiting trail. They got the NIL stuff going. If they can go like – they can go eight and four this year, possibly. Um, maybe you keep most of these kids – I don't know. It, it it's it's very interesting to see. They're certainly uh, hitting out of the park right now with the NIL stuff. We are coming up on the one year anniversary of NIL going into effect on July 1, 2021. And one of the things that we discussed on the show is will this level the playing field? Will this provide opportunities? You know, we've said, where are the programs? Where are the cities? Where are the opportunities for some uh, college football programs to close the gap with Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and the rest of the familiar names? Is this potentially, and again, long way to go before we actually get pen to paper, so to speak, for the rest of this 2023 class for the Cardinals. Is this one of the better examples? I mean, clearly Texas A&M to number one, but I, 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 don't, I think that the jump that Texas A&M made from where they were to where they landed 
isn't quite what we would see from Louisville, a program that, what, is in the 40s, 30s and 40s normally? If they finish in the top 10, that feels like that would be one of the most significant examples of something that we predicted in terms of being able to to use this uh, in a way to close the gap and really put yourself in a different ballpark recruiting-wise. Completely. I, I, the I other written, one I would – Sorry, I was just going to say real quick, just to follow up, then you go, but I had written down their last five recruiting class rankings, 24-7, 32nd, 41st, 44th, 71st, and 30th. So this is a massive jump for them. The, the other school I, I would point to there is uh, the success that Oregon had closing very late after just you know a, a quick coaching transition. Remember, it took Cristobal a long time to take the Miami job, and then Landon gets in there, and they landed some huge kids that I think were very much NIL-based, or at least uh, NIL. Base is probably too strong. NIL-assisted or you know influenced, so. So that was the Oregon being able to to get it done quickly is probably a big example of that. But the the overall yeah. jump, this is a, a good example. And look, that is hope, or this is evidence, or this is a a blueprint or a playbook uh, for other programs to be able to use. Like when when you were going to those boosters, when you were going to those prominent uh, people within your community and trying to pass around the hat, you can now point to what Louisville's done and be like, look. We can make this happen. We got players from uh, blue chips from California. We got blue chips from Texas. Like we, we are going all over the country uh, to be able to bring in top talent and convince them to come to Louisville. I mean, they got that pony money, baby. You got, you got to expect that they're going to be able to uh, to open up the coffers on that. Uh, one more, we're going to stay on the recruiting trail because uh, in terms of the timeline here, we are about to enter a dead period where starting next Monday and it goes until July 23rd. So a lot of uh, movement, a lot of commitments, a lot of visits going on, and the bang, bang commitments of not one, but two five-star receivers for Ohio State, uh, as we mentioned earlier, certainly highlights one of the reasons why we've got Brian Hartline uh, very highly rated in how we look at uh, coaches in general, but especially assistant coaches, especially position coaches. So on Monday, we get Carnell Tate, the number 28 overall player in the current recruiting cycle. He commits to Ohio State. Then on Tuesday, we get Brandon Ennis, the number 18 overall player in the 2023 recruiting class. So you've got now, after we just had two first-round picks, after we just talked about Ohio State having the most loaded wide receiver room in the entire country, now we've got two five stars in the upcoming cycle. And that is continuing uh, this very, very impressive run. Uh, I'll read off this note from the athletics Ari Wasserman since the 2019 class and including the 2023 class, Brian Hartline has either signed or landed a, a commitment from 13 receivers who are top 100 nationally during the same span. The rest of the big 10 has landed a combined two 13 over four recruiting cycles, the entire rest of the conference combined just to, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, is Ohio State's going to have first-round wide receivers for what? And now again, we're just, just play it out for the next two, three, four, five years. I mean, 10 robot robot wide receivers going to be committing in 20 years from now. What do, what, what do we even do with this plethora of options that uh, the Ohio State offense is doing loading up on the perimeter? So, um, I've seen Brandon Ennis play for like five years now. He has a very much uh, right down to the same seven on seven team, by the way, it sort of a Ja'Cory Brooks uh, progression in that he was good enough to play for South Florida Express as an eighth grader on their varsity team, which basically doesn't happen except for, you know, Ja'Cory and maybe one other kid. Uh, and he was very, very good as an eighth grader. And you know, you're always kind of skeptical with that. It's like, all right, this is awesome. But is he one of these guys just grew early? Will he keep getting better? Brandon Ennis keeps getting better. He, he's a very good route runner. He's got nice burst to him. He catches the ball. He and he plays hard. Like he does care uh, quite a bit. So I, I, I like all those things. Cardinal Tate, I've seen less in person, but uh, both these guys are good catchers of the football. Uh, I think like the cold weather won't bother them. Carnell is actually from Indianapolis, so he's a Midwest kid. Uh, and recruiting wise, this really was was fascinating because. Uh, a lot of people thought that Brandon Ennis would follow Lincoln Riley out to USC because he was very heavily favored to go to Oklahoma uh, back in the day. And then uh, many people thought that Carnell Tate was going to go to Tennessee. Tennessee's obviously been doing a great job 
with their NIL of late, and yet Ohio State keeps the like. I know he's in IMG, but to me, I I kind of count him as more of a Midwest kid because he spent 17 years of his life there. They they get him and they get Ennis. Obviously, they made trips up there together. It's just a huge win for Brian Hartline. And if you're a receiver recruit, you know that Ohio State is also going to have tremendous quarterback play going forward. They have Dylan Rayola committed for the class of 2024. So it's going to be pretty good guys throwing you the ball. I talked about we I talked with Jordan about this before the show began, but like I, I heard differently about Tennessee. Like I from what I'd heard about Carnell Tate the last few months, it seemed like Ohio State was going Ooh. to be the destination for a while. But I don't know. Maybe there was some stuff I didn't know about. Maybe the people I talked to were just overconfident. I don't know. But I think that just going back to Ohio State's side of this thing, like yeah, this is this is just further s- cementing Ohio State as you know nothing's changing in the Big Ten anytime soon. Like we talked about, I was joking about you know Northwestern's ranked in the top ten right now recruiting wise. Minnesota is at number twelve, and you're seeing these teams kind of have good starts. But like I talked about with Louisville, the one reason you would think their class is kind of sticky is because half their current commits are blue chips. Ohio State has twelve commits; eleven of them are four star or better. So like this is it's still a situation where. Yeah, NIL is giving some programs more of a platform to land these kids and a better chance of doing so. And we're seeing Louisville taking advantage of it. We've seen Tennessee take advantage of it. But at the end of the day, it's programs like Ohio State that are still going to get the majority of these kids. And we're seeing that. And they've done a terrific job. And honestly, if you're a highly rated wide receiver out of, out of high school right now, why the hell wouldn't you go to Ohio State? Because you've already seen like plenty of evidence of guys going there becoming first-round picks, and you've seen guys go to Ohio State who didn't get the field at Ohio State who had to transfer and still ended up being first-round picks. It's really a win-win situation for you. It To me, this was the least surprising bit of news we got over the last week. I mean, Louisville, you know, getting Owen, that's a surprise, right? And we talk about it. It's worthy of discussion. If you would have told me two five-stars would have signed with Ohio State, I'd been like, <laughs> yeah, of course they did. Like, why wouldn't they? When I was being recruited out of Miami, you know what their pitch was to me? We're QBU. You know, we had Jim Kelly, Bernie Kosar, Vinny Testaverde, Steve Walsh. They, like, went down the list. That literally was their big pitch. Why would you want to go anywhere else? And I think if you're Ohio State and you're pitching a five-star wide receiver, you would pitch them the exact same thing And it does sort of the rich get richer, especially in this type of situation, because like Tom just said, if you're a receiver, why would you go anywhere else? Because not only are they amassing the talent that's there, but they're also developing it. I mean, you look at some of the scouting reports and like the the draft reviews of the players coming out of Ohio State. What do you hear? Oh, good route runner, you know, crisp, clean, wide receiver. Like you read the reports about them. They're coached up well from Brian Hartline. So it's not just having a talent, you know, oh, but to go. You're going to get developed when you're there, too, from a guy who played in the league and had a pretty nice career, too. Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning. Arch Manning, uh, over the last weekend, had an official visit to Texas. This concludes a very, very busy June. He, the number one prospect in the class, he took his official visit to Georgia and he got all the photos in the Georgia gear. He took his official visit to Alabama. He, uh, did a seven on seven camp at LSU. And this past weekend, he was in Austin. And D- Danny, were you hey, there? I mean, <laughs> we might have been frequenting the same restaurants, you know, Suerte, ATX, Cochina. I mean, hitting all the hot spots. It's extremely, I will say this. I've, I like to eat nice restaurants when we're around college football weekends, traveling around. I have never been in a city where it's harder to get a reservation. Anywhere. I'm talking middle of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You have to eat at five o'clock. I'm guessing Arch Manning didn't have a hard time getting any reservations anywhere he wanted to eat. But that was my one thing I've noticed here in Austin. But yeah, they had him uh, here and I'm sure they gave him the full uh, superstar treatment here in Austin. No doubt. So uh, that means it's just as we've talked about Alabama, Georgia, Texas. He did the camp at LSU. But one thing that's come out of the visit that stood out to me is Texas seems to be just like totally pot committed as you might be. But of course, you know, Alabama went and got four-star quarterback Eli Holstein to make sure that they have a quarterback in the class. I'm not sure what Georgia's quarterback plan is, you know, if they don't end up landing landing Arch Manning. But we are about to go into an Arch Manning dead period as the recruiting dead period hits. The reports are he's going to sort of take the next month. You know, dead period lasts until July 24th. You know, work, get with his family, figure out what their timeline is, figure out what their game plan is. 
But the reports coming out of Texas, you know, where is Texas in this? They don't have the on-field success that Alabama or Georgia do. You know, they, they don't have that you know, long run of quarterback development, certainly. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, he has uh, Mac Jones and, and a little bit of his own history of getting great offenses out there. But there is uh, reportedly just a tireless effort to just be nonstop in Arch's ear, with talking to his people, being as as much as that you can be. And this is Steve Sarkeesian. This is quarterback coach. Um, what's Millie's first name, bud? AJ. AJ Millie. Yeah. Those dudes have been just on top of like old school because you can't get Arch with NIL. You know, you can't get Arch with Dude, anything. Are you sure? New. I, I, I was thinking about this because I'm here in Austin. Facilities are insane. Like every single sport is insane. We're just, and I, I would agree with you. Here's my, here's my thought. I would agree with you. All of them are on par, right? Like they can all offer the same sort of package, but is there a school like Texas who's similar to the live golf tour, who is just blowing these offers or blowing it out of the water so much so that golfers are giving up their PGA tour status is there the chance that Texas is in a position where they are more desperate than Alabama or Georgia to yes. be relevant, to be back? And I would suggest that they probably have the resources from similar types of money um, uh, background, not the murderous side and not the human rights <laughs> violation side, but the oil <laughs> backing side of it where they might be able to cut a similar style of deal with arch that would blow everybody out of the water. Cause I am curious. No, I would, that was my initial thought was like you chip, like you're not going to impact him with money. Right. He's but, a manning, but money talks no matter who you're talking to. And another aspect of it too, is like, yeah, clearly his family has money. He's probably not going to have to worry about much for the rest of his life, but none of that money is his yet. And Texas, the, the money from Texas would be his. So I do think that it's like, it's not, it's probably not the top priority, but I think to say that it's not going to have an impact is. I like that. Correct. No, yeah. that's a, that's a very fair point. I mean, it's like, can Sark and this Texas staff, like, but like, but do you think that they're just going to be able to go so hard? It seems like they are desperate. Like they're calling them every single day. Like they are absolutely, uh, you know, putting themselves in the position to, to just grovel at his feet. And I don't know, is it going to work? I I don't think that, first of all, I don't think it's going to be by an IL, right? I mean, I, I think it's, uh, I, I just don't. Um, I would I tend that, to agree with you. I was kind of making the case for no, a, I, I, no, it was a great point. I, <laughs> right. I, yeah, 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 I like it. Um, right down to the point of like, like, is Lib a good business decision as a golf tour? No. Is it a good business decision if you're trying to get people to invest in in the Saudis? Probably so. Like, yeah. Um, almost like you could just overpay to that extent, right? Like, does it actually make a good business sense? You could turn a profit? No, but if you win, cool. Which for Steve Sarkeesian might be worth it. Correct. Like, is, it's a great is, business decision for Steve, for Steve yeah, Sarkeesian. Does landing Arch Manning commitment, does bringing him to Texas, is it worth sacrificing whatever else you have to sacrifice uh, possibly? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you have some really uh, – some really interesting choices here. Uh, you can never really count out Alabama, even though they do have another commit already. I think if you're Arch, you go in there thinking, I don't care. Like I'm, I'm Arch Manning. I'm, I'm even though they try to you know downplay it and they've kept his recruitment very much bottled up and they've not made a media circus out of it. Like they, they could have, like, they've really tried to, to limit availability and just let him be a kid, which is pretty cool, honestly. Um, you know, but, but is that only because Manning Plus isn't out yet? <laughs> I, I I think so. Um, is you know is, how long is Saban going to coach? Right? Uh, does Georgia ever actually open up its offense? I'm of the belief that they intended to, and then you know guys got hurt. Right? They brought in JC Daniels for a reason. Uh, you know how long is Sarkeesian going to be at Texas? Are they actually going to get things turned around? There is there is some question of uncertainty even amongst these three great historic programs that he's considering. Right? Um, but I guess you could say that anywhere right like if he was considering ohio state would you say hey could ryan day jump to the nfl like there's always some kind of questions and it's crazy we're going to nitpick you know it's, bam in georgia and maybe texas especially after this offseason when we saw brian kelly leave notre dame and lincoln Riley leave oklahoma you had said that you know before the season started last year where everyone would look at each other like you're crazy it's just a new environment i will say um it would not shock me if he fits at the, at the manning passing camp later this month Ooh. 
Would it, but he would, he, he would have to announce it like in advance. He wouldn't surprise everyone, right? Like we, would, we would have to make this a televised event. I mean, what if he has – here's what he needs to do. He needs to have the table set up for the press conference, and he's got the hats out in front of him. And then you have Peyton pick up one. You have Eli pick up one, and they toss it out, and then he pulls out the other one and puts it on his head. And Somehow it's an Illinois hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Manning Passing Academy – what is uh or will Bryce Young be there? Will Quinn Ewers be there? Um will Stetson Bennett the fourth be there? <laughs> Do we know who the lineup of Kelsey I don't have is? What about DJU? Will Stetson Bennett be his water boy at the Manning Passing Academy? Is that the question you're asking? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for this. Uh, I bet they are. I mean, they have the top quarterbacks in the yeah. country come as counselors, so it would be the least surprise. I mean, I think they probably all are going. I will Stetson say – Catch it. You know how there's the, the one player who catches it but then throws it – hands it to the quarterback? <laughs> wow. Is that because um, you don't want to, like, hurt your hands, Danny? What, what, what is Apparently, that? yeah. I'd yes. say, yeah, I think it was that thing. Like, you get to a certain level where it's beneath you to have to catch the ball. Catch. I always kind of like catching the ball, right? But it definitely becomes a status symbol. I'm going to have a guy catch for me for sure. It's I like mean, the coach or wide receiver just sits there like, I throw so hard we can't risk our quarterback's hands. <laughs> We do need to get an update on the Manning Passing Academy website. If you guys, I'm gonna drop this in the in the in the, in the, the private chat. Uh, the last update we have on this is from 2019. <laughs> you know, Stetson well, uh, Bennett will be there according to Jordan. Stetson so. Bennett will be there. Oh, George is in the mix. If Stetson <laughs> Bennett is willing to catch the passes during workouts for Arch Manning, that could be the deal breaker here. Ooh. What if we had like, if you're the Mannings though, I know you've kept this thing low key. Don't you blow it out and bring a real elephant if he goes to Bama, or like actually like like <laughs> like bring Bebo in, run Bebo through the passing academy, or like people have, have held up a bulldog before, so maybe not Uga. Yeah, don't you no. think they're going to do the? Uh, don't you think the Manning way is all business? Like, yeah, hey, this but, is about uh, my, yeah. They're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna take the low key approach. I think they're gonna spend like five minutes thinking each school, and then like, all right, I'm going to yes. wherever. You know, really appreciate it. Look forward to working yeah. hard and. Keep them yeah. head down. Hopefully, they have a great education, you know, great college experience, and also you know make a lot of money to go to the NFL. Mm-hmm. If he if he doesn't announce at the passing academy, that just gives us more time to script the uh, the Arch Manning commitment announcement. And then if he continues to drag this out until like November, we might as well shoot our own and just have somebody be Arch Manning. <laughs> uh, coming up on the other side, we want to turn the attention on some teams that you might not be thinking about that could make some big noise in 2022. We've got some candidates as dark horses for the upcoming season. We get into that and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So I left this intentionally vague because I'm very curious to hear. Look, we are... um, less than three weeks away from starting our win totals here on the cover three podcast. Like we are about to turn into full sprint downhill, getting you ready for the upcoming season. We are going to be doing, you know, going through all of the power five conferences, uh, the independents, some of the top group of five teams that are on our radar, breaking them down one by one, giving you our thoughts on the upcoming season, what we like, what we don't like. But before we do that, I, I wanted to at least get a sense of where everyone is. You know, some of those teams outside of the the regulars, outside of those top billing ones, those ones that are starting to get our attention. So I left it vague. Dark Horse could be 
you think they're a dark horse for the national title. Dark horse could be they're a dark horse for a conference title. Dark horse could be, I don't know, Chip. I just wanted to talk about this team because I've been doing my research, flipping through my magazines and my spreadsheets, and, and they're starting to stand out to me. So dark horse candidates for 2022. Uh, Tom, why don't you get us started? Well, I will say my first team probably meets the requirements of what we were looking for more. And the other parts of my teams, I took it in a different way. I didn't really go with teams that I think will compete for conference championships or playoff bursts. I just went with teams that I think are being overlooked and are poised to have much better seasons than they had last year. But this first one probably hits a lot of the things we're looking for. I'm going to go with Penn State. I, you know, it's... The last two years have been thoroughly mediocre. I think they're exactly 500. But as I've said, like when it comes to 20, the 2020 season in the Big Ten and the Pac-12, I don't give any of those seasons any kind of real considerable weight as far as trying to figure out what happened or what's going to happen. I just look at what happened last year, and I saw some problems with this team clearly. But I go into this season, and I think there's reasons to think that Penn State will be better. I've talked about I think Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. I think there's a very good chance Michigan is the second-best team in the Big Ten. But if it's not Michigan... I would take Penn State over anybody else in the conference. If you look at their season last year, they were two and four in one score games. But in those six games, they actually outscored their opponents. And the four losses came by a total of 12 points. And if you look to some of the losses were not exactly a bunch of crappy teams. Um, I think that Sean Clifford is back. A lot of experience. Got his offensive coordinator back for the first time in his career at Penn State. He's got he's going to be in the same offense with the same plays, same all that kind of stuff, which I think is huge. And we have talked about Drew Alar as a possibility for the reason to take maybe Penn State to another level, because as we've talked about for years here, like the one thing that has always consistently felt like hold Penn State back is they don't have that top upper echelon QB compared to the other elite programs. But what we haven't spent as much time talking about is Alar was not the highest rated player in Penn State's recruiting class last season. Five-star running back Nick Singleton will be in that offense this year, and that is something that I also think that the last few years, since Saquon Barkley left, since Miles Sanders left, I think kind of a game-breaking running back is something that Penn State has missed in its offense, and we've seen when they have that guy, they're a much better team. And I think Nick Singleton, I'm not saying he's, he's going to be Barkley, but I think as far as talent-wise, he's the kind of guy. And as Bud said, they don't give guys five stars unless they're able to take it to the house when they every time they touch the ball. Nick Singleton is a five-star. I think he was the number one running back in the 2022 class. So that kind of stuff, combined with a defense that is still going to be good, and it lost a few key players, but I don't think they'll have any trouble replacing them. I think this is a Penn State team that's poised to get to 9-10 wins. I, I had Penn State on my list as well. I think that my questions are like so... Um, they're in the, in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Right, you know, would would like to see the Penn State defense getting back to being like truly dominant uh, on the up front, and the offensive line probably does shoulder a little bit of the responsibility for why we haven't seen that run game really take off recently. I have gone uh, full circle from thinking you have to go to Drew Alar to now being all in on like 42 year old Sean Clifford and his like 33 <laughs> starts, you know, just really taking the kind of jump that you want to see. I mean, the big 10's got a couple of them, like between him and Tanner, <laughs> between a uh, longtime fan of the show, B rabbit is asking whether he has an NIL deal, deal with the AARP. Uh, we'll, we'll have to look into that. I, I think that we have uh, a great opportunity, especially for James Franklin to sort of, uh, right, what would be a ship that would be sliding backwards, right? Because another mediocre season is three straight mediocre seasons. And if you do have three straight mediocre seasons, especially on the back of signing a massive 10-year deal, then as we talked about a couple weeks ago with sort of you know where James Franklin is in a mailbag episode, I think that there's got to be a lot of urgency. There's got to be a lot of pop around that program right now to go and capitalize on, on what you've got right there. I also had uh, Penn State on my list of about five or six options. Thoughts? I like it. No, I would agree. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna be a very. I think they're gonna be a team that people are gonna pick. Hey, uh, you know, when you do interviews, because it's such a lock to pick Ohio State. If you say, well, give me a team not named Ohio State to win the Big Ten, I think Penn State would be a very popular pick, and I could see it possibly unfolding that way too. So, all right, real nerdy here for a second, I but do it. I, I listened to. A, I can't remember who's talking about this. I remember listening to a podcast about how you. In the NFL, when you're betting like some, some of these like alternative futures markets and whatnot, how you have to model dynamic uncertainty with quarterback injury chances. 
right? If CJ Stroud stays healthy, Ohio State's winning the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Like, I, I wish somebody would give me odds on if, if he plays 13 games or the Big Ten champs, right? Like, I'd, I'd lay a pretty good, pretty good odds on that. Um, but if he if he doesn't, and like nobody's wishing injury on CJ Stroud, but that's basically what we're talking about, I think, in the Big Ten. It, if something happens to quarterback, obviously Ewers transferred out. They don't have the best quarterback depth right now. Um, you know what would what would happen? I think Penn State is an obvious good choice. Like I, I don't know. I think you guys nailed it. I agree with you. Am I wrong? Did he miss a game last year? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I thought. It was he the was shoulder. It was bit. after yeah. Oregon. Uh, I, it might have been Army like, or Tulane. It was a it was in a the first layup game, game, right? It was yeah, yeah. It was, I think I, it was a MAC team, I think, but I'm not sure. Um, Danny, who's who's got your attention? All right, I got one for a playoff contender. And when I say it, I think the initial reaction would be like, well, I would like a, that's not a dark horse. And yet, when I hear people talking about teams, I hear people talking about the teams that are kind of rivals, whether traditional rivals or new rivals, because I see uh, USC is a very trendy pick to make the playoffs. And I see Texas is a very trendy pick to have a monster year. I haven't seen many people talking about Oklahoma. Um, I think Oklahoma could be just as good offensively as they've been in this Lincoln Riley run with Dylan Gabriel coming to town with Jeff Levy running that offense. And what has been Oklahoma's hangup under the Lincoln Riley tenure? It was the defensive side of the ball with defense, defense, defense. It brings in Alex Grinch. They get a little bit better, but they were by no means a juggernaut uh, defensively. Brent Venables is a defensive-minded coach who is going to try to change a culture and have a tougher Oklahoma team than we have seen. Schedule sets up nicely. I think the I think Oklahoma could be right back where they usually reside at the top of the Big 12. And if things fall their way, I think they could be right on the cusp of another playoff appearance. But I don't hear, I don't think they're going to be a pick that many people make for the playoffs. So I think they're I is that fair to consider them a dark horse, or is that a little bit too much of a traditional favorite i wouldn't consider him a dark horse but i get where you're coming from in that if you look at the big 12 and a lot of the talk about the big 12 like no disrespect to either of them because especially baylor because i love what dave aranda has done but i think people are a little too comfortable just assuming baylor is going to be just as good again and that Oklahoma State is going to be really good again. I, I still think that because of that, because of the coaching change, you have a point in that Oklahoma is sort of flying under the radar because they're being written off a little too bad. I, I wouldn't consider them a dark horse, no, but I completely understand what you're saying. I, I think they're, you could get away with calling them a dark horse for playoff. Like, yeah, like the, they are on most sites a, like the favorite to win the Big 12. Mm-hmm. You know, but I guess for the playoff, it, a lot of it depends on: Do you think we get two SEC teams? Do you think that the Pac-12 produces a playoff team? All, all those kind of things, right? Um, I don't. I haven't seen anybody books-wise, offshore or brick and mortar, post uh, to make playoff odds. But those are certainly coming pretty soon. They, they usually drop July-ish. Uh, I, I'd like to stay in the Big Twelve if possible. Uh, yeah. I, I actually have two uh, that are not playoff teams for me, but but teams that I think are uh, could set the right way and and maybe actually win the Big Twelve. Uh, the first one, a, a team that I already bet, uh, TCU. Caesars hung a twenty-eight to one on them. I gladly took that to win the Big Twelve. Here's the deal: when you handicap Big Twelve games and Big Twelve is a league, you always have to figure out who has five home games and who has four home games because it's it's a round robin type schedule. This year is the year that TCU gets five home games and TCU is one of these teams that's really important because when they play the four road games, one of the road games is Kansas. So not that Kansas won't be improved. I think they probably will be, uh, but that's still the team I want to play on the road. If if I'm trying to make it to the big 12 title game, new coach and Sonny Dykes. I I could see, I I could see TCU playing better this year, playing harder. I think Gary Patterson's message was kind of lost on them at times last year. Not that they won't do well at Texas, but, I think a fresh voice there is good. And the other one people seem to be overlooking, in my opinion, is, is Kansas State. Uh, I think it's a situation much like in the Big Ten where we discussed if C.J. Stroud is hurt, then we can start talking about other teams to win the Big Ten. If he stays healthy, I don't think it's a discussion. If Oklahoma plays to the level Danny thinks they're going to play to, well, guess what? 
these teams aren't winning the Big 12. It's, it's going to be Oklahoma. If they don't, then we can start talking about other teams. And like, is Baylor clearly better than Kansas State? Is Oklahoma State? I don't, I don't really think so. I've got a question for you about TCU. Do you have a preference or a prediction on whether it ends up being Max Duggan or Chandler Morris at the quarterback position? Because they are a team that, similar to what you were pointing out about C.J. Stroud, where I am looking at two starting caliber quarterbacks between Morris and Duggan, and I think that they probably look at their room and think that we can win with either one of these guys, at least at the Big 12 level. Do you have a, an idea of which way they go or a prediction or a preference? So we did our summer school episode, dropped it recently in the feed uh, with TCU. And I I think there's a pretty good chance, not a pretty good chance, like even our insiders didn't know who it was going to be. But I do think Morris is potentially more consistent. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just what they're going to look for. Just a guy who can be accurate and get the ball out. I don't know. I'm actually kind of comfortable with the situation because I think they have two guys who at least have some ability. Uh, I'm going to do a big surprise here and uh, take take us to the ACC. Uh, <laughs> I I think Miami can beat Clemson. Now, I wouldn't bet on them beating Clemson twice, which is probably what you need to do to win the ACC championship. But if and it's a, it's a late season regular season game. If they had to play, you know, two times within a couple weeks, I think that the Clemson Tigers would have a very difficult time, especially uh, ha- having the entire season to get in, to get settled. I think that most importantly, it's going to be defensively where you've got a whole lot of transfers on the front part of the defense that are trying to mesh with, you know, your very, very super talented dudes like, you know, Leonard Taylor and Jafari Harvey up on the defensive line. Obviously, we've mentioned James Williams' name a lot at safety. He is a an all-ACC caliber player. And I just think that the, uh, the, the raw talent, the offensive ceiling that Tyler Van Dyke gives you um, along with some of the the playmakers that you have. I want to see what Jalen Knighton looks like uh, within Josh Gaddis's system. I think that while it is very easy to say Miami is a contender for the ACC championship because I believe they are the best team in the Coastal, I don't think that that's a dark horse candidate, but I think that Miami, with a win against Clemson and potentially an ACC championship win against Clemson, would make itself... Uh, in the conversation for a college football playoff would make itself in the conversation uh, for being a, you know, a top five, top 10 team. And I just don't think that's where they're at right now. As I've continued to dive deep on this, the idea that Mario Cristobal is going to be able to land and hit the button and be able to raise this level to the point where Miami is making national noise behind, beyond just being the, the U is back, you know, the internet fans are going crazy I, I just I really like what he's done through the portal and the way the depth chart lines up. I think that with, when they take the field against Clemson, we'll know, obviously, what Clemson has done at the quarterback position. But if you ask me to take right now the option of Tyler Van Dyke versus DJU slash Cade, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't have a strong argument for TVD, but I do think that he at least does seem to be the more proven option uh, among those three quarterbacks. So I I think that Miami is on Miami is on my dark horse list be, solely because of where they stack up ne- next to Clemson, where I think that if they played twice, Miami could get one of them. Can we stay in the same division? Sure. Pitt. Yeah, you've been on Pitt. I've noticed that. Like, Last I'm not few saying conversations. That, I'm not picking Pitt to win, but I'm just I try to think of situations. Like, I agree. Miami has a ceiling that Pitt doesn't have. I think Chip nailed it. Like, if everything clicks, Miami could be the best team in the ACC. I think Chip, like, 100%. What if they don't click? Oh, yeah. Poss- if, it's Miami. If, right. What if Clemson's offense doesn't really come together? Pitt returns entire offensive line, entire defensive line, entire secondary. We've seen Narduzzi-style teams do pretty okay with that. Like, I'm a little concerned they go back to kind of, you know, caveman ball where they just try to run the ball all the time and it's just not efficient enough. They they play too many close games and they lose a couple too many of them. But, man, that's a lot of experience, guys. Like, that's, that defense is going to be too much for a lot of the, a lot of the opposing offenses they play. Uh, their schedule's friendly. They don't get Clemson. I don't think they get NC State either. I think it's like Louisville and Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Louisville Pitt is the 
most interesting game as I'm trying to do, I'm, I'm writing ACC win totals right now for cbsports.com. Story's going to go live on Thursday. And I have to, we do it not like with a, just a bet, but you actually have to list the result of every single game. So you can't do that thing that some analysts do and just take the over to make everybody happy for all 14 teams. Like you actually have to say like, no, this, this total is here because this game breaks this way. And the Louisville Pitt game is going to probably decide both Louisville and Pitt's win totals. And I think that game could be kind of spicy, which, you know, to Bud's point earlier, I means I'm probably in with you on being a little bit high on the cards. But the running back room, if they go back to caveman ball, I wonder if the running back room with Vincent Davis and uh, Izzy and the rest of that group, I, I wonder if those are players that are ready to carry the load because when Pitt won the ACC Coastal Division, and for the first time, and made it to the ACC championship game, they had two 1,000-yard rushers. And they had an offensive line that was able to, to pave the way. They went 6-2 and two in conference play, bounced back from a slow start, just kind of got hot running the football. I thought that those running backs were at a different level, but I clearly could be proven wrong, as uh, they've got also got the new offensive coordinator in Frank Signetti. So I... Can I... team. Before we let Tom go to the Big Ten, because I know he's itching for another Big Ten team, can I stay in the division? Yeah. Wow. I got a team. Everybody in the ACC is a dark horse this year. (laughs) It pretty much is. I think that speaks to the state of the conference right now because everybody's sleeping on all of them. I might be biased because I talked to Mac Brown this morning. But I was looking at – so I think trendy picks in the ACC are NC State, Devin Leary's been all the talk, and deservedly so. Miami, you just brought up. I think they're a trendy pick. I'm looking at win totals. NC State's is eight and a half. Miami's is eight and a half. North Carolina's is seven and a half. I think North Carolina has more wins than NC State or Miami at the end of the year. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So I think think Sam Howe was good. I think his fifth round draft stock where he actually went kind of was a more realistic – um, version of Sam Howell. I think he had his limitations. I think he was a really good co- college quarterback, but I don't think the loss of Sam Howell is going to be as dramatic uh, as we make it. I think there'll be a better team around him. Whatever quarterback wins the job, um, whether it's Colby Criswell or Drake May, I think both of them might be just as talented as Sam Howell was. He's going to have a great receiver to throw to and Josh Downs. You got a national championship winning coach now helming the defense and Gene Chizik. But most importantly, look at the recruiting rankings. Mac Brown has done a pretty good job assembling talent year in and year out for the Tar Heels. And I think this team will have what they need because last year everyone was telling them how good they were. I think this team needs a little edge to them. And I think maybe they have that edge this offseason coming a little bit irritated. So I'm going to say North Carolina, my dark horse from the ACC. I wanted to. Sorry, Tom, do you want to weigh on that? No, we're going Big Ten. Just, I just, uh, how many more ACC teams are you guys going to list? I mean, I, I, I Duke has a new head coach. I'm just kidding. Now, my remaining teams, uh, I've got two Pac 12s, a Big Ten, and an AAC left. So there's no more ACC teams. I'm all tapped out there. Same I want to say my North, my North Carolina pushback is that the offensive line was supposed to be awesome last year because they were bringing back everybody. They got all their starters back, and then they, they, they weren't all that good. Um, and defensively oh. is where we've got a lot of those blue chips. And I would say that you know development of those blue chips into Power 5-level uh, stars, still kind of waiting on that. Can Gene Chizik unlock Des Evans? Can Gene Chizik unlock some of those big recruiting wins on the defensive side of the ball? Whoop. Uh, if if it happens, I'm I'm right there. Uh, I'm right there with you. But uh, but those those are sort of my questions: is being able to convert those uh, those highly rated recruits uh, into stars at the ACC level. I have like positive belief in the offense. Um, but my two main questions with, with North Carolina are: one, is your strength program any good? Because I, I look at like like late stage Texas under Mac Brown, and I felt like those guys were soft. And I thought Carolina got pushed around too often last year. And I'm willing to write that off and go back in on them with Danny this year to them being too young last year. But they did look soft. Like they got they got physically bullied by teams that shouldn't be doing that. The it's other the question is – Yeah. It is. <laughs> it is. All right. Argyle, the question I have. The intimidating Carolina blue. Was it the D coordinator or was it the DB coaching? 
Because I think there was a lot of finger pointing going on in that room last year, and they made a change at D coordinator, right? I think there was disagreements on how things should be run by that coaching staff. So we'll see if the new D, new DC can work with the existing assistant coaches there. I'm I'm very very curious to see how that plays out in Chapel Hill. Is that dissension coming from one of my draft picks? Yeah, I was going to say. Let's <laughs> talk about Trey Bly of Danny Cannell, DKU. Great DKU. recruiter. Yeah. Um, okay, Tom. Oh, well, you guys are busy telling me every team in the ACC is going to win 10 games. I'm going to go to the conference where plenty of teams usually do win 10 games. Nobody's picked an SEC team yet, and I'm about to. And sorry, Jordan, it's not the one you want me to pick. I'm going to the SEC West where we know what Alabama is going to be. We know Auburn could be pretty bad. We don't know exactly what LSU is going to be like in its first season under Brian Kelly. Arkansas, can they maintain what they did last year? Or do we see them step back a little bit? Texas A&M, probably still going to be pretty good. Ole Miss won 10 games. Maybe some regression coming. But another team that nobody's really spending much time talking about, Mississippi State. This is a team that last year defensively was good for, especially considering, you know, it's a Mike Leach team. You're not used to Mike Leach teams being good defensively, but they were. And if you look at them on the season, they outgained opponents by 1,254 yards while going seven and six. That's not something you tend to see. In one-score games, they were 2-3, and three, despite having a plus 665-yard margin in those games, which was the best in the nation of any team in the country in one-score games. And they had a negative three turnover margin in those games. So if a couple bounces go their way, they're probably finishing 8-5, and 9-4. And, and also, if you just look at Mike Leach traditionally, his teams tend to take a step forward in year three or four. Like it's ha it happened at Texas Tech, it happened at Washington State, it could happen at Mississippi State. The only thing that kind of gives me pause is if you look at their schedule. Obviously, they're in the SEC, so it's never going to be easy. But they've got to get they've got to go to LSU, Kentucky, Bama, and Ole Miss all on the road, and they also draw Georgia from the East. So I think that's probably going to limit how good they can actually be record wise. But this is a team where if it finishes third place in the SEC West, I won't be shocked. I won't be shocked because I've identified that date against Georgia as one of the, if we look at Georgia's schedule, we look at Georgia's team and it's like what 12 and 0, they show up in Atlanta undefeated. I mean, show me the, if they beat Oregon, it ain't going to happen. So then you have to challenge yourself to be like, okay, well, where could it happen? And when you do uh, the Florida Georgia game very next week, you're going to host Tennessee. And then you've got back-to-back -back road games, Mississippi state and Kentucky I think that going to Starkville, when you're going to be sitting at 9-0, and you're going to feel like all the toughest games are behind you, or at least like two of the really challenging ones, Tennessee testing your defense with their offense, Florida with the rivalry aspect to it. Auburn's already happened. I, I'm with you because I feel like Mississippi State's not going to be a team that I think is going to win the SEC West, but on Georgia's schedule, and that's what a mammoth Georgia is that we consider this an accolade to like put in a magazine. What's the team most likely to beat Georgia? I, I think Mississippi state's got to be near the top of that list. Did you guys catch Mike Leach? Uh, I believe saying that it was not like a sewn up quarterback competition. That's for Will uh, Rogers. I did not catch that. I thought I saw that on Twitter. Uh, maybe the comments actually could help me out here. I, I know it probably just shouldn't be citing, you know, anonymous or just Twitter. I can't even remember the handle, but apologies. Um, I think they're going to be pretty good, man. Like, like I don't know if they're going to be good enough to beat like a Bama or Georgia, but I do think that they are potentially good enough to make Mississippi State or Miss, you know, Ole Miss and Arkansas and Texas A&M fans really mad about how their season goes because they. I guarantee you, those schools look at. Mississippi State as a W. When I'm doing my spreadsheet, I have that kind of as a coin flip for those those teams. So he would elevate them to Dan Mullen status. I think they get to nine wins. Job. Yeah, I I wouldn't be if they win nine games this year. I'm not going to be like I, I'll. It'll probably be best case scenario, but I'm not going to be like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Mm -hmm. Should they win eight games? Yeah. What, what's the, what's their I'm more interested in this quarterback battle that's taking place. The dude led the SEC in passing, but it wouldn't be surprising from a Mike Leach team. Like he expects even Honestly, better. Like the QB is interchangeable to me in every single right. Mike Leach team. It's the same guy, every single one of them. Utah. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, is, my Pac 12. Do they even count as a dark horse as the reigning Pac 12 champions? Who Not just to me, they don't. For a playoff team, as a playoff team. I don't think they're. I don't They've think they're. They've almost dark made the playoff it. twice in the last few years. Well, this is the year. Then this is the dark. This is the year that they punch through. This is it. That's that's right. the take then from the dark horse. What are our ground rules then for for who 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 counts as a dark horse playoff team? Like clearly not Ohio State, Georgia, Bama. Right. Those are right. the favorites. Everybody in the ACC, according to you three, non Clemson can't count Clemson. <laughs> right, Clemson, Clemson obviously not. Yeah, Clemson will probably be odds on to make the playoff. And, and honestly, I think that the Oklahoma qualifies because Lincoln Riley's gone because we've un- because we've undergone this big change where the Oklahoma that you'd be considering as a college football playoff contender is not the same Oklahoma in terms of style or uh, identity that was in the college football playoff. In All right, years. you want to go deeper? I'll go deeper. Dark horse in the Pac-12, and I don't know. I don't want to say they win it, but UCLA. UCLA, Chip Kelly, DTR's back, head in the right direction, stronger, strongest season he's had. There's got to be some. If I, if there's anything in that locker room that says, "Man, what's watch what's going on around town, across town," like that's got to irritate every single player in that UCLA locker room. And I think in general too, the Pac-12 is extremely wide open. Like if you looked at the hierarchy of teams. Talent-wise, I think it makes complete sense where you have those three teams at the top in USC, Utah, and Oregon. Outside of that, I would say UCLA is in a strong position to kind of, with all the turmoil that's going around the conference. So why couldn't UCLA be that team that comes out on top? Defense was pretty bad last year for UCLA. They used a little, little bit of a disjointed season. You got you know DTR, Zach Charbonnet also back, one of a really, really solid running back. That's a. I, I feel like UCLA is a, a high floor, low ceiling team for me. Utah and USC at home. Yeah, In that just fierce environment they have to go to. <laughs> we've talked about nine and three. We've, yeah, we've, we've mentioned Utah and UCLA. I've got another Pac-12 South team. I uh, this is this is not a dark horse in the idea of competing for a conference title, hell, even a division title or a playoff berth. But I was doing like research for a story I had to write last week, and this kind of popped up to me. We spent a lot of time talking about how Nebraska was the greatest three-win team in history last year. That's tired. That narrative's done. We're moving on. We've got a new one. 2022 Arizona was the greatest one-win team in the history. Of college football. This is a team that went one and eleven last year. But if you started looking at the numbers, like I was on Arizona last year, Chip. Why? Why did I like them? Play hard, right? They played hard, and they were also a team that was in pretty much every single game they played, and then would shoot themselves in the foot with terrible quarterback play and turnovers. They would they would drive down the field, get to the red zone, and screw up. There were four guys on that team last year who threw at least ten passes. Only one of them threw more touchdowns than interceptions, and that was Jamari Joyner, a wide receiver. The three quarterbacks all threw more interceptions than they did touchdowns. But looking back at other numbers here, they finished the year with a total yards margin of minus 177, despite being 111. For context, if you look at the teams that finished around them in that number, especially in the Power Five, they mostly all went bowling. Iowa went 10 and four with a worse yardage margin than Arizona had. They only scored 10 points off of turnovers all season long and allowed 79. That negative 69 points off turnover margin ranked 128th nationally. Now you look at them coming into year two, they're still going to play hard, but they've upgraded at quarterback with Jaden Delora. It's their second year under the new coaching staff, so you can expect some more you know, familiarity with everybody on that roster going in. They've got a solid recruiting class coming in. They've got some impact transfers. Nobody that's like high star besides Delora, five-star you know, guy that you're probably grabbing attention, but guys that can come in and do the job and be improvements over what they had last year. The schedule is still somewhat of a concern, but this is an Arizona team that it might go bowling. I'm just going to say it. It might get to a bowl. So I was remembering um, Arizona in late in the season pushed Utah, like really yes. like jumped out to an early lead. They had Utah at home. And uh, I want to read the, the lead here from the AP game recap. 
Cameron Rising's long hair was still dripping wet at the post-game press conference 30 minutes after the final whistle, giving an indication of the bruising, physical altercation in the desert. His Utah Utes had earned a victory, but it was far more difficult than expected. Arizona plays hard. They make Cameron Rising's hair be dripping wet. Nobody else made Cameron Rising's hair be dripping wet like that. Come on. I'm, I'm with you. Arizona plays hard. We'll be, we'll be on win total over. We'll be waiting for the power. Two and a half. That's it. Two and over. a half win total. Over, over, over. over. They lost to Northern Arizona. Their one win was yeah. against a conference opponent. I think they lose an FCS game again this year, though. Did you guys see who they who they have, have for FCS this year? North Dakota State, which is just the an bison. absolutely stupid move scheduling-wise. Just why are you <laughs> scheduling North anybody? I don't just mean Arizona. I mean any Power 5 program. Why in the world are you scheduling North Dakota State? What are you hoping to accomplish there? There, there are three games: San Diego State on the road, Mississippi State, Mississippi and then hosting North Dakota State. <laughs> they could. I think yes. they start zero and three. Are they going to beat North Dakota State? That is going to be the game right there in which my 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 entire narrative about Arizona twenty twenty two starts. Well, hey, Arizona State at the end of the season, who's coaching? Yeah. Oh wow! You By DK, who knows? <laughs> Colorado at home. Okay, there's there's another potential for you right there. We already know they can beat Cal. Mm-hmm. They hung right there with Washington. We'll see. Seattle's a hard place to win. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, any others that we want to highlight before we get out of here? See, I left it loose so that we could, you know, talk. We're not going to talk about all these teams for until we get to win totals. So. Good, good to get the juices flowing. Anybody else on the list that we didn't get to? This is another kind of like lower. Like I had five, but Kansas State was one. Bud mentioned the other team. The only G five team I had on my list is Tulane in the American, simply because their offense was very explosive last year. It was just way too inconsistent defensively. They were awful, and if you look at them, they were zero and five in one score games. They had eleven turnovers in those games. They've got a very manageable non con. I think if they could find some consistency and just take better care of the football, they will naturally improve by a few wins. So I think that looking in the AAC, they could be a team that's better than most people are expecting. We go to Mountain West for one. Oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Who's the new uh, Jim Svoboda? Who's the new? I was looking for the new offensive coordinator at Tulane because I know Chip Long. I don't have it off the top of my head to go to uh, Georgia Tech. That was uh, Jeff Collins, Big Mary, Chris Watt. Uh, Jim Swoboda, yeah. Central Missouri's head coach. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mountain West, bud. UNLV. (laughs) That's a dark horse. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, I'm not saying they're going to make a bowl, but I think it is possible they could make a bowl, right? They had three quarterbacks play last year. You know, injuries were were issues. They they get Harrison Bailey in. I'm not even sure he's going to start, but at least that's a decent floor for them. He was at Tennessee. I also think you need to pay attention to like who else in this uh, this, this league is down, and I, I think I think UNLV is defensively better than Hawaii and Nevada this year, and they, that's not been the case in previous years. I mean, they unfortunately they do play some real heavyweights from the other side. Like you get Air Force, you get Fresno. That's tough, but I don't know how, how good North Texas will be. I I think San Jose State's a bounce back team, but I could see them maybe making a bowl here. Yeah, and they finished two and ten. They led at halftime in five different games last year. Yeah, they only won one of them, <laughs> and that's just that's that typically doesn't happen. So, yeah. Or Chip, is your? Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, is your AAC the same as mine? Memphis? No. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I I was going back through, and I realized that during the course of the regular season, I didn't look at Seth Hennigan's true freshman campaign as being something that was really significant. But he threw for like 3,300 yards and 25 touchdowns, and he was a little bit like a little bit shaky at time. There wasn't a lot of consistency, but he was also a true freshman starting in a in a team that was undergoing a lot of turnover. So I think that it goes one of two ways for Memphis, where either they have completely lost the rope on being one of the better teams in that conference. And there's going to be a missed opportunity when the mountain top opens up with Cincinnati, UCF and Houston all leaving to go to the big 12, or 
they start to show a little bit of a, a step forward. Hennigan has another strong performance, tightens up on some of the mistakes, and we see Memphis having a kind of offense, you know, like we were used to with Norvell and being really explosive. I like I don't it. Have any feel for the AC so far? Like I like I feel very good about what I'm doing in the Mountain West. I feel really good about the Sun Belt. Obviously, we did every SEC team for summer school, so I feel good there. Man, I do not know what to expect in the AC. Like, how big a drop off is Cincinnati going to have? Does Does UCF bounce back because now they're going to go to a running quarterback, and that's kind of what Gus Malzahn does well, as opposed to this passing stuff? Like, do we think Houston takes another step, or if Houston just plays as well as it's played last year, is that good enough to win the league? Uh, I mean, I don't. I'm not a believer in East Carolina at all. I, I agree with Tom. Like I think Tulane and USF have a chance to be better than East Carolina this year. But like, what's the who's the who's at the basement of that league? I mean, if we're going real sicko here, like do we think Navy's going to suck again? It I could. assume Temple will suck. Yeah, I've got Temple uh, near the bottom. That's like the and then where's Tulsa at? That's another question. Like under Phil Montgomery, <laughs> they're pretty decent. Like they're not going to win the league, but they're it's going to be a very I feel like that's going to be conference decided by injury. Mm. Whoever stays the healthiest is going to have a really good shot. Yeah. So who's who's? Your I had UCF as the okay. as the dark horse to win the conference. Uh, Cincinnati, I don't think is going anywhere with Luke Fickle. What he's building, but you met, he's been crushing it. Gus has been crushing it in the uh, transfer portal, including and what Bud alluded to. I think if he could build his ideal quarterback, it might look like John Rice Pumley. So we'll see if he wins the starting job because Mikey Keene did a pretty good job filling in Dylan Gabriel's absence. Also, they finished the season really strong. Three and three felt like, mm-hmm. man, is this you know is this going to blow up in UCF's face bringing in Gus? And they got the ship righted towards the end of the season. So I think he'll be coming in with some momentum and a bunch of graduate transfer talent coming in there too. So UCF, keep an eye on him like that a lot we will be back tomorrow thursday 11 a.m eastern time with another mailbag episode a reminder if you want to participate in the mailbag episode you can join us live or you can submit a question for the big old bag of mail by leaving us a five-star review and in that review put your question we will tackle it in a future mailbag episode you can follow him on twitter at tom Fernelli. you can follow him at danny Cannell. you can follow him at flood elliot three you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much Thank you. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.